Welcome to the ECA podcast. We discuss the biggest issues in the electrotechnical sector with the industry's leading voices. We encourage you to join the conversation. Send your comments and ideas to podcast at eca.co.uk and help us bring excellence in electrotechnical and engineering services to you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the ECA podcast. My name is Omar and I'll be your host for today. In this episode, we will be looking at the six biggest myths and misconceptions around BIM, which is short for Building Information Modeling. With me today, I have Steve Martin, our Head of Technical here at ECA. Hi, Steve. Hi, Omar. So before we start, can you please give us um, a brief overview of what BIM actually is? I'll try my very best. Um, so BIM is possibly best described as is a, is a set of processes and it covers the whole life cycle of, of a building. Um, so if we were to use the word concept uh, to occupation, that's where BIM comes in. Um, so this set of processes is almost a, a, a lot of tools um, that helps collaboration um, and helps us use digital technologies in order to achieve what we want to achieve. Um, the best way for BIM is to drive in efficiencies into our construction industry um, and, and our built environment. And that's probably the best way I can describe BIM. Okay, so um, we see a lot of perhaps misinformation or misunderstandings around BIM in the industry. Uh, we see a lot of questions coming through to us. Uh, so we've highlighted the top six. Uh, so we'll start with number one. BIM is just for main contractors or tier one organizations. What's your thoughts on that? It's it's a common question and it couldn't be further from the truth, to be fair. Although I must say probably tier one contractors uh, are pretty much used to uh, incorporating kind of this digital way of doing things, such as BIM. Um, but I don't think it's kind of exclusive to, to tier one contractors, certainly not. Uh, the journey is there for us all to adopt uh, any organisation, business, even kind of government contracts or government agencies. I would say anyone involved in kind of the planning, designing, constructing, operating, even maintaining our physical infrastructure would benefit from BIM. So next on our list, BIM is just 3D modelling. Is it just 3D modelling or is there more to it? So the common thought that BIM is is just 3D modelling is a, is a misconception. It is not. It's actually much more than that. If we think of BIM as the output of a number of digital files that describes every aspect of a building, the process of BIM is that shared knowledge um, in order to create a reliable basis of decision making during its whole life cycle. Therefore, it's dependent on collaboration. It's depending on a lot of people talking together, a lot of people creating this information. And those people are everybody in the supply chain. Um, and those people need to share this data, whether it's the modeling, the 3D modeling, or the files, the digital files to go with it. Everything has got to be shared and collaborated together. So which groups of people are being uh, connected, as it were? So everybody. Um, so you can look at the manufacturers who have got the products. You look at the, the designers who are designing the buildings. You're looking at the client. You're looking at the, the people that are installing the products into the building. Um, you're looking at even the FMs, even the people that are maintaining the building once the keys are handed over and once the, once the system is finished and completed and handed over. And that has to be maintained through the whole life cycle. So it's from almost from conception of the building mm-hmm. all the way through to demolition. Demolition mm-hmm. is probably once the building is um, demolished, that's when the process will stop. Interesting. So does that uh, kind of add checks as it were, to kind of uh, avoid uh, miscommunications or mistakes? Does it prevent that? 
It does, yeah. So, you know, if we were to look at what we have in the industry at the moment, or, or currently in, in a lot of uh, traditional ways of thinking, is we still work in silos. We still create our own stuff, create our own files for the job that we're doing. If I were to take electrical or mechanical engineering, for instance, we would just do our stuff that we need to do, that we're contracted to do. Um, and if and sometimes this stuff isn't proven to work until we're actually putting it in on site. Um, and that's when we see that things aren't working together. So what the whole concept of BIM or this whole process is, is to understand all that at, at the design stage. So before we actually start building the thing, we can see if things are going to clash, we can see uh, if things aren't going to work. And, and that's where we drive in the efficiencies, because if we were to do that on the construction site, it's going to cost us more money to put right yeah. and it causes delays as well. So, yeah. so it, it, it ultimately is, is to put all the thinking at the front end mm -hmm. and to ensure that the building we're building or whatever we're building or anything in the, in the built environment works and works to what we want it to do. Yeah. That makes sense. So number three on our list, BIM will cost too much, take up too much time and or impact productivity. I'd imagine many smaller businesses might feel this way, um, but is, is that really the case? Um, so, well, if we... If we look at BIM, BIM isn't just about a technology. Um, it's it's a way of doing things by using the technology, mm -hmm. and more fundamentally, the technology is part of the processes to drive in change. So, if we were to treat this as a journey, um, I think small steps for any organisation, no matter how big they are, whatever they're doing, if they're embracing change, if they're embracing digital technology then they're on that journey. And ultimately, BIM is there to, to help us guide and help us to create those efficiencies to steer us in the right direction. And eventually we will get there, but it is small steps. So I don't think we could say it's gonna take up too much time. I think we can just embrace it and go with the flow for our own organization. Obviously there's gonna be client pressures there. If the client wants us to do a particular thing, we're gonna to have to change our business and, and do it quicker. But if we haven't got those pressures at the moment, it's, uh, it's certainly worth us putting on our radar and working towards it in order to achieve it eventually. Let's take a short break now. I'd like to remind our listeners that they can find more information about BIM and the services we provide for our members at www.eca.co.uk. Do you want to make creating risk assessments easier and more effective? ERAMS is ECA's online risk assessment and method statement tool that allows any type of contractor to create, amend, store and print general activity-based risk assessments and method statements. ERAMS is free to ECA members and very competitively priced to other businesses. Find out more at eca.co.uk forward slash ERAMS. That's eca.co.uk forward slash ERAMS. Welcome back. You're listening to the ECA podcast. I'm here with Steve Martin, our head of technical at the ECA, and we're discussing the six biggest myths about BIM or building information modeling. So Steve, next up on our list uh, of common myths about BIM, we've got BIM will solve clashes and clash detection. Uh, so we might need a bit more background and, and uh, explanation here, Steve. What exactly is clash detection? What, what does that mean? Okay, uh, so clash or clash detection is, is possibly a design term. So I'm sure some of the audience uh, will know what it is. But ultimately, it occurs when maybe components um, that are specified or components that are des designed 
when they're put into a building spatially don't coordinate together so they conflict. I suppose it's a little bit like uh, driving down the motorway without any lanes dividing the traffic so you know you could be going anywhere and, and, and clashing into other people so it's when the components aren't spatially um, coordinated mm -hmm. and, and, they, and they conflict and that's what clash is. And for many of us who um, have been doing computer-aided design for some time, clash detection um, is part of that, you know, it would automatically do that. But um, when we're looking at BIM, uh, I think I said earlier that um, what we do traditionally or what we have done traditionally um, is that we all work in silos. Um, the mechanical would do his mechanical part and the electrical would do his electrical part. And when we come to site, um, maybe the components, maybe we're using the same space for our components and, and we clash them together. What a level two BIM actually enables us to do is to produce all our models as we would do or produce all our coordinated designs um, and then data drop them into, into a master model. Uh, and the master model will give us the tools as designers to understand where other people have put their stuff and where we need to move our stuff so there is no clash. So that's probably a benefit of, of BIM. Again, that comes down to collaboration that's driving in collaboration and driving in efficiencies. And ultimately it happens before construction actually starts. Next on our list, uh, clients won't know what to do with BIM data. So the, the argument here is that it's not worth it. There's a knowledge barrier between contractors and clients, but are, are clients really as, as clueless as they're made out to be? Um, what, what would you say, Steve? I would say there's a mixed bag, actually. Ultimately, I would say no. Uh, ever since government mandated BIM for central government projects uh, since 2016, clients are becoming more, more involved and, and increasingly asking for BIM to be part of their projects. It is true, though, that although they may understand the concept of BIM, uh, many clients, uh, they possibly don't understand the full implications of it and they're possibly not speaking to the right people at the right time. So... We kind of call this in, in the design world um, lonely BIM, where we're kind of thinking we're doing BIM, but we're still doing it in our own lonely siloed self. So ultimately clients need to understand the benefits and, um, and get everybody involved in the project uh, at the beginning um, through the concept. So the key or the real um, key here is to communicate early. Uh, and frequently and make sure the, the clients understand their expectations and make sure that the design team or those who are implementing the BIM project understand the expectations and encourage collective problem solving and understanding coordination and encourage that as and, and working openly between uh, each of the supply chain. But I think we also need to understand that we shouldn't be naive here, um, that we do need the clients to ensure that all of this is wrapped up in the right contractual terms for us all to work to. At the end of the day, we all need to make money. So we need to understand that, you know, that the client has got this all wrapped up in, in a contractual way that we can work with. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so on to our final uh, most common question about BIM or most common myth. Uh, BIM level two compliance is achieved by adopting one standard. Um, so first of all, is this true? And if not, how is BIM Level 2 compliance actually achieved? Uh, and does it differ depending on the business? Okay, um, so anyone works in standards, there's more than one standard, but there's an, a good suite of standards actually. It's called PAS, and that's a public available specification. And the number is 1192, and there's a whole suite of standards that are designed to help everybody, everybody in the supply chain to understand and adopt BIM Level 2. Um, they're free, which is unbelievable, and they're free to download. Um, I think the, the website is bim 
level2.org and they include all the different requirements that, that, that you may look at. So they would include the requirements for design, uh, they include the requirements for the construction stage and they include the requirements all the way through to kind of the management of the asset and uh, you know all, all that that you need in order to achieve it. So depending where you are on this journey, uh, as I highlighted before, uh, this set of standards is really, really a good one to start to adopt, to start to read, and it will help you steer your way through the whole BIM process. And eventually, you know, if we were all to read these standards, and that's what standards are there for, we would all ultimately achieve what we need to achieve within BIM. And that's freely available. Freely available, yeah. Fantastic. At BIMlevel2.org. That's it. Thank you very much, Steve. That was our uh, top six myths and mis misconceptions about BIM. Uh, hopefully you would have taken something away from, uh, from this podcast. If you'd like to send us your ideas, comments or questions, uh, do feel free to drop an email at podcast at eca.co.uk. Steve, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. Thanks, Emma. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the ECA podcast. To continue the conversation or ask questions which may feature in the future podcast episodes, send your comments and ideas to podcast at eca.co.uk. Until the next episode, visit www.eca.co.uk where you can learn more about ECA and the services our team provides. That's www.eca.co.uk.